Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Yes, hello everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, uh, whatever time it is you are listening to this podcast. It's Matt Walsh here with another episode of the ESPN Footy Pod brought to you by the iconic Subway Footlong Sub, Subway Eat Fresh. Jake Michaels, you've joined, you're joining us again. Another big episode ahead because we've got plenty to talk about uh, on field, off field, the, uh, the works. Yes, uh, I believe we're going to be talking about the Blue Baggers this week um, after another disappointing loss and now pretty much season over, I reckon. It could well be. Uh, some big changes coming as well, and we'll have the latest on that. Christian Jolly from Champion Data, uh, good to have you on the episode as well. We've got a bit to get through with you because we're dissecting the buy teams as well. So plenty uh, to talk about. Yeah, we'll do, uh, we'll do six more teams this week. So yeah, we'll get to them shortly. Very much so. Uh, before we jump into another big episode, guys, something from the weekend that grabbed your attention we might otherwise miss, Jake? Well, I think the the thing that caught everybody's attention was the Nathan Wilson sack tap on uh, Cody <laughs> Waitman. That wasn't what caught my attention. What, what it was, though, was where, if you saw where that happened on the field, it was about 46, 47 metres out from goal. The umpire <laughs> paid a 50-metre penalty, but... He stopped the defender about three meters short of the goal line. So if he paid about a 42 and a half meter penalty, I don't understand anywhere, any 50 meter penalty that begins inside the arc should be taken to the goal line. If my maths is correct. (laughs) Christian's nodding his head furiously in agreement. Do you guys track where these 50 meter penalties, because you have pinpoints that you pinpoint kicks and where they start and finish. Yeah, and I, I didn't work on that game. I only watched it from home, so I shouldn't be nodding furiously because I, I saw the same thing. But I was also the the only thing because as soon as I see it, I'm thinking, okay, they must have there must have been something I missed. So I was assuming that the free kick or the mark was actually where it was. So where it happens is not where the fifties paid from; it's where the ball was before that. So if the mark was deemed to be taken fifty-two out or the free. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it was taken inside the forward 50. It was inside the arc yeah, by a couple a, of minutes. I hadn't had a second look. It's just when you brought it up, I was thinking, yes, I thought the same thing on the spot. But no, I hadn't gone back to review it to see why. Um, but that was, yeah, my first thought was maybe there was something that was, yeah, the, the, they were going to set the man on the mark in the midfield rather than inside the 50 because he was definitely halfway up the goal square, the Rio player. This interests me, Jake, because there was another one on the weekend that I saw. I can't remember which game it was in, but a 50 was paid from the back line uh, and the controlling umpire, pointed to the umpire down the field and said, that's where the mark's going to be. And there's nothing scientific in it at all, is there? No, there isn't. Um, and it's, I find it funny that no one talks about it, given that... Why, why isn't there a scientific way to do this? Well, how do, you, how do you make it scientific? You get, you get one of those... Projected those from the roof called, or something. And you roll it out in the, the yeah. 50 metres. <laughs> I don't know if you can, but what, what, what I find fascinating about it is if had he missed the shot and the dogs lost the game, that would be that would be Jared and the boys would be dissecting that one on the couch. So wasn't there a famous one involving uh, who was it? Someone from North Melbourne against Collingwood all those Shannon years ago. Shannon Grant. Shannon Grant, and he was supposed to go to the goal line, and it was the top of the square, and he yeah, hit the post. Exactly. So sort it out. No, sort it out. Yeah. There's got to be a way. There's a scientific. <laughs> I think we say sorted out a fair bit on this podcast, unfortunately. Uh, Christian, something from the weekend that we noticed that, I'm oh, sorry, that you noticed uh, that we might not otherwise talk about. Um, I'm sure no one's talking about it. It was something that actually happened uh, outside of the AFL, but it's more of a bit of a shout out to um, some, so regional Victoria was able to open up over the weekend and some um, under 18 NAB league boys uh, games were played out there at Mars stadium on Sunday morning. 
Mm. It was about 11.30 a.m., but if you can, I don't know if you can get any vision up on uh, Twitter or anything, but the fog that they were playing in that morning at Mars Stadium, GWV Rebels, which is the North Ballarat Rebels versus Geelong Falcons. Uh, yeah, it was just thick blanket of fog for the first half and shout out to the cameraman, to the guys that work for Champion Data that had to go <laughs> on, through that game for all the stats. Um, you can, you can almost, you know, if you really watch closely, you can sort of see what's happening. Uh, but it was probably the most foggiest vision I've ever seen of a game that we've recorded. And um, yeah, I feel sorry for whoever had a blinder in that game because I'm not sure how much <laughs> the recruiters are actually going to end up seeing of it. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah, that's interesting because I think there was a, a very famous fog game many, many years ago, 40, 50 years ago, uh, where even I think the goal umpires struggled to see goals going over their head. I remember reading it in a book once. I can't remember who was playing. It might have been Fitzroy and someone back in the day. So uh, yeah, fog yeah, games. Yeah. The first centre bounce, the umpire throws it up, and I'm like, "How are the ruckman seeing yeah. that ball?" And like the, from the first hit out onwards, you're like, "They're playing blind." Very, very strange, but very, very Ballarat. Um, something I noticed. Uh, well, I think everyone sort of noticed it, but Jake, I've got a sort of an impromptu question for you: Is Jamie Elliott Collingwood's most important player? Uh, I don't think he's their most important player, but he is a very good player and a very he's a he's a forgotten player. I think he's missed a lot of football over the journey with injuries, but he's one of the best small forwards going around if you can string a full season together, and he's one of the best kicks going around as well. For goal, but not not just a small forward. So he's he's six goals straight on the weekend, including the winner for Collingwood over uh, Adelaide. Mm-hmm. He is a great mark up uh, lead up mark. Um, he's he, a good lead up mark, and he's great overhead. He's, he's he taken his body well. Yeah, um, he, he's, he's unfortunately just just injury riddled. And I say this a fair bit on Twitter. Uh, so apologies to anyone who does follow me on Twitter and, and sees the Jamie <laughs> Elliott love. But I am honestly, I'm so upset that we've been robbed of a full career of his uh, of watching him because he's a, an out and out gun. And you just sort of see the valuable, um, well, structurally what he adds to Collingwood, who have really struggled offensively all year. He goes yeah. up there and just goes, "Yeah, boys, 36 points on my own." Um, you know, this is how you do it. I, I think yeah. he's just criminally not underrated, but criminally. Oh, I think he is underrated. I think he's definitely underrated. But but that comes back to him not being able to play enough football. Correct. It's hard yeah. to get rated if you just if you play a couple of good games and then you're out for another month. Anyway, um, and he's had some long term injuries. So, yeah. but everyone was saying Brody Grundy up. was Collingwood's most important player. He didn't play, and 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 they got the chocolate. So you know what does that say about Grundy, and what does it say about Ruckman? You and your Ruck theory. Uh, you are probably one of Ruck's, Ruckman's biggest critics. So uh, we'll leave you to debate that with some people on Twitter if you'd like. Uh, let's get into it. We've got heaps to talk about. Uh, like I said, we're going to run through the teams on the buy this week, look at their strengths, weaknesses, most improved and BNF candidates. But before we do, Carlton, hot topic this week and probably rightly so. Uh, Jake, you might have a different thought to this, but they lost a game on the weekend that they probably couldn't afford to lose if they wanted to make finals. And they're four and eight now. Um, the season is likely over and, and change is on the way because incoming president Luke Sayers has commissioned an external review of the club um, and has started conducting informal interviews, according to a few reports uh, flying around the traps. Um, long-term, long-time assistant and one-time interim coach John Barker, who took the reins when Malthouse left, but before Bolton was brought in, he's now resigned. So uh, he's been the coaching panel whipping boy among fans for, for many years. So he's now, um, he's now taken his leave. Is this the right move for Carlton? And, and is this where you saw them at the start of the season? Because there are a few fans uh, that clearly thought they were going to be a lot better than what they've been. Yeah, and you're one of them. Um, I don't want to pump my own tyres up, but when we had our farewell for um, our old colleague, Neil Seawang, who obviously used to be on this podcast, we were, we were all sitting around the table and we were talking about the Blues. And 
I was surprised that everyone was just almost expecting Carlton to play finals. Almost like, of course, they're playing finals this year. And a couple of guys were saying they'll be pushing top four. I remember saying there's probably 10 to 12 teams better than Carlton going into this season. And you guys were all saying I was crazy. No, I no, didn't no, no. Rate our, Hang on. I didn't rate our list. I haven't rated our list for the better part of a decade. There's too much dead wood on the list. There's, you know, we've got, we've got some top end players. Sam Walsh has been fantastic. Harry Mackay has been great, but the fall off is very quick. Paddy Cripps has been inconsistent. And I, I'm, I hate the way he's playing where he's trying to draw contact all the time. It's not, it's not a smart way to play. And there's just too many players that we've brought in that aren't contributing enough. And and just because we add a couple of pieces in Saad and, and Williams doesn't necessarily say we're going to go from 12th to 6th or 7th. Other teams have got better, you know? Sydney's no, got better. Frio's got better. You know, it, that's what happens. Um, I, I would like to say that I said that Carlton have to make finals. And I said that they have to make finals to avoid the sort of scrutiny that they're under now and the fact that they're now having assistant coaches leave and external reviews being commissioned. I they said have they have to make, to make finals, finals, but they were never going to make finals. Well, I, they, I, they had a chance. They absolutely had a chance to. And to be going from 12th on the ladder to 8th is not an unreasonable expectation. And yeah, other teams improve, but other teams decline. So, you, you know, that sort of balances out. And if you're, if you're a much better team than you are the year before, you should be making finals. And But look, no, one's, no one that was above Carlton declined below Carlton. There's not one team that that was that finished above us on the ladder last year that is now just not as good as this is not as good as Carlton. I'd Whereas we've had a couple of teams probably go past. Week. Well, yes, but I mean, look, I guess the point is that they're now conducting a review, uh, and we've sort of seen two other sort of well, famous reviews that have been conducted in previous years, where Richmond in 2016, when uh, Damien Hardwick was probably under the similar, oh, probably under more pressure than David Teague uh, is now. Uh, and, and there was that uh, rival board that wanted to, to the, what is it? The, um, the focus on footy group that wanted to mm-hmm. turf, turf out um, Brendan Gale and Peggy O'Neill and then sort of look what they've done. And then Buckley obviously had the, the whole club review, I think it was in 2017 and they ended up making the grand final the next year. Um, Christian, do we see any parallels here between what, sort of Richmond was looking at at that point and Collingwood at, at their point and what we see in Carlton now? Um, maybe a little bit, but if you look at in terms of the head coaches, I think the timing's different in terms of just how long each of them have been in their position before yeah. the review happened. So I think David Teague, yeah, with being only, you know, not even two full seasons in really in charge, um, you know, I know he took over sort of late in the season, but to have, you know, full control for two, you know, whole pre-seasons and, and such. Um, so maybe, yeah, maybe slightly club wide, but yeah, if you're comparing it to where Buckley and Hardwick were at, I think Buckley was, you know, he was still youngish. I think he was four years in almost. And then, and he had that record where he just slid every year. He just had one or two less wins each year in his first three or four years. Um, yeah. I think fatigue's sake anyway, I think it's been yeah too early to sort of throw him under the bus with it all. Cause I don't think he's had long enough to really, really prove himself. Jake, let me still- ask you this. Who's the last team or has there ever been a team that's made finals and, and actually challenged for a flag where their best and most consistent player is a 20-year-old? <laughs> that's a problem. And I love Sam Walsh. I think he's been fantastic and he's probably on track for all Australian selection. But I'm sorry, you can't be the best and most consistent player in the team as a 20-year-old and you want to be challenging for finals. You need more contributors. So you think the biggest issue is the list and there's just the a lack of talent? The biggest is a lack of talent. The fall away is, is just horrific 
Yeah. You no, know, no help in the midfield. Harry, you saw when Harry went went out of the game against the Eagles. There was just no structure in the forward line. No one could do anything. Mm. The defense is ironically, you know, it's the soundest part of the of the the team. You know, Jones and Weedering are forming a pretty pretty solid um key defensive duo. We got some decent runoff half back, but it's just through the midfield and in the forward line. You know, how long's Eddie Betts got left? He's playing pretty well after after looking like he was on his last legs. He's actually played quite well the last uh, five or six weeks, kicking goals. But um, he's kicking a lot of goals that you know maybe it's sustainable for Eddie, but no one else is really kicking those goals out of nothing. And mm. I, I really worry where Carlton would be. You know, we're, we're a Harry Mackay injury away from being really really skinny in that forward line well uh our, our colleague rowan Connolly, who writes columns uh, for espn.com.au uh, he he has asked us to sort of say what, what the big issue is at carlton and so you think it's the list i think it's the application i think you can't coach hunger you can't coach you know a bit of a four-letter word um starting with c and and carlton's been a meek team for a long time I think you, watching them on Sunday against uh, the Eagles, you would not have known it was a season on the line game from the way that they attacked the footy at the first bounce. And, and, and even as the game went on, it just wasn't evident. There's poor two-way running and, and not to, to bang on about Patrick Cripps, but he doesn't run two ways. And if you're looking at a leader and a captain like that, and, and he's not going to run back with his, his opponent who might sort of sneak forward and have a shot on goal, why would a second-year player you know, drafted in the 30s playing his seventh game just trying to get his spot in the team um, why would he so look should, at, So should Patrick Cripps be Carlton's captain? Oh, well, that's a discussion perhaps for another day and that external review might look at that. Um, I would suggest that, you know, getting his footy right is probably the the, the priority right now. Would he um, benefit kind of like a Travis Boak situation? From, yeah, I think he would. From handing the captaincy over. But who yeah, but, gets but it? Who gets it? That's the Walsh? issue. I mean, Doherty, <laughs> Weedering perhaps. But then, you, you know, the argument of having a forward or a backman being the captain is they're not around the footy all the time. So... Who knows? Um, and there's a lack of competition for spots, and that's injury luck to you know some some players who would normally be best twenty two, but it's also just the, the lack of quality in the depth. So it's all hurting. I think coaching isn't the main problem, and I know there's calls for David Teague to to get the boot, but um, I don't think that's that's the main issue. And the departure of John Bark is probably fair. Um, he's been there for eleven years, and as is the review, get some fresh eyes in the box and fresh eyes on the footy department. Well said. Um, and I look, it is. I, I think the list is the main problem. Emphasis on the word main. There, there's multiple problems. I'm not just saying it's yeah, only the yeah. list. There, there is coaching issues. There's structure issues. There's just morale and culture issues. There's a lot yeah. of issues with. But for me, the biggest thing is always the list. And if you had, if you had four more A graders there, you can kind of paper over some of those cracks. We don't have the list to paper over all the other cracks at the moment. And that's, that's the problem with Carlton. And that's why I see us finishing probably somewhere in that 10th to 13th bracket again, where we probably, where I probably thought we were at the start of the year. Christian, anything statistically that sort of shows that Carlton are very much just a middle of the road team. I mean, we're going to talk about them later, but we might as well bring them up, bring that up to now for the, for the blues. Yeah. I mean, it's, you mentioned it perfectly. I mean, there, there's, there is definitely, you know, alarm bell signs that's starting to creep through as the season's um, gone on. So they're 14th and it's what you talked about, that grunt probably in the midfield and, you know, the winning the ball. So 14th for contested possession differential, 16th for contested possession differential, just in general play. So, you know, away from the stoppages, Uh, 15th for ground ball, uh, 15th for loose ball. Also, you know, they're sort of, yeah, 14th for pressure now. So, that, you know, they improve their pressure from being, you know, they were 18th for the first two or three rounds. They've improved slightly, but they are, they're sort of, they're 
offensively, there's, you know, it's not that they're disastrous in anything. There's a lot of eights, ninths, and tenths in their way they move the ball and how they score. Um, but yeah, as you said, it is that sort of that winning the ball through the midfield and general play sort of stuff. And also, yeah, a bit of the stopping the opposition ball movement. So 16th for points scored against from stoppages and 14th for points scored against from turnovers, uh, second most points scored against from defensive midfield. So the center half back. So being, you know, the slingshot footy as everyone sort of likes to call it. These, are, al- these uh, are alarming numbers. Yeah. So again, that, that's, you know, they're all, as you said, Jake, they're sort of bottom four, bottom five. So again, I just sort of go back to the point. I, I find it funny how, yeah, and it's the way, everything in football works. And again, I probably agree as a, as a sporter, there's, there needed to be a review done and the review makes sense to me too. But we sat here three weeks ago and said the top eight wasn't going to change and Carlton wasn't in the top eight then and we were where we were. Now it's sort of saying, yeah, well, once they lost to West Coast, who are in the top eight, that, you know, all of a sudden, all oh, the season's over. It's like, well, we knew that three weeks ago, sort of. We didn't really put them in there in the top, but why are they all of a sudden? So I'm with Jake. So yeah. funny some weeks that teams are sort of, highly rated again in an unusual way that Carlton was so good that, you know, they've thrown their season away. Whereas three weeks ago, we were sort of content that the best eight teams in the competition will probably mm-hmm. occupy in the top eight spots. So as Jake said, you know, they're alarming numbers, but again, to me, it's, yeah, there's not a lot of 18th. Um, as I said, yeah, not, you can't say there's any um, upward growth from last year, which is probably the, the most concerning problem for me, but it's not mm-hmm. like they're, yeah they're last in a lot of areas. Uh, I don't think that's what was expected was a little bit of upward growth in many different areas. And I just don't think they've got that. Yeah. The the list profile you got, you're supposed to be on the, on the way up and yeah, there's not, not much increase in the numbers. Again, the only one I could sort of, you know, put up in their defense is looking at the expected scores ladder. So does everyone kick this, the shots at goal that they're supposed to kick and score, you know, at AFL average, they would be ninth on the ladder which again, to me, sort of sits comfortably with their profile. If a perfect season, you know, if you had asked me at the start of the year, yeah. Carlton might have been in finals, but they should have been 10th or 9th with the way we were going. Um, yeah, again, so that's, you know, using, you know, sort of a cheeky ladder, but they're sort of, yeah, they, they have extra two wins if, you know, some of their games had a Gordon expected with accuracy mm. Uh, mm. in terms of them missing shots they could have kicked and their opposition kicking, you know, getting luckier with their accuracy almost. Um, but yeah, so sort of very middle of the range sort of in a lot of areas is is Carlton closer to contending for a flag and when I say contending I mean a genuine top four hope are they closer to that or are they closer to another proper full-blown rebuild um I'd like to see what comes of this review I think before we we talk about that because it could go two ways because I'm not I'm not convinced one way or the other I really don't know. I think it's yeah. almost a coin flip. It's right on yeah. the, the knife edge at the moment. Yeah. So that's a, a different way of how, how I would have put it. You've just put it. So I think you're right. It's 50-50. Depends on how it goes at the end, end of the season, which, which way they and decide that's, to go. But that's quite, that's quite sad, really. For 10 well, years, it's been this build, 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 build to not really get anywhere. Big build after And then all of a sudden, you're going back down again, and you never even made the – you've never gone in the top eight. Well, let's keep an eye on Carlton. Uh, as the weeks go on, they got the bye this week. Um so they've got a bit of time to sort of <laughs> take a few deep breaths. And that's and, all and for the Carlton happens. podcast this week. So yeah. <laughs> Join us next time. Uh, we should move on. Uh, I know that Carlton is a big issue, but we can get a little bit carried away. Apologies. Uh, the buy teams. There are five other buy teams. Uh, well, there were going to be five other buy teams. My apologies. However, uh, the Richmond West Coast Eagles match has been moved forward from round 13 to round 12. No, round 14 to round 13. Um, apologies. I'm getting confused about my rounds. Uh, but they will instead play on... Sunday uh, at Optus Stadium. So 
Uh, Richmond will have another week in Perth. Well, they'll actually, they'll go back to Sydney and then go back to Perth and play, and then they'll have their bye. However, for the purposes of this exercise, we've uh, included them in the bye teams. Christian, and that's all subject to change, as everything is at the moment. Everything, everything's got an asterisk on it. So we're, we're kind of, uh, you know, a little bit loosey-goosey. But Brisbane, uh, alphabetically, if we're going to go alphabetically again, uh, Christian, their trends, maybe their strengths and weaknesses, uh, and then we can discuss the most improved and, and best and fairest candidates from the Lions. Yeah, the, I mean, way I've looked at Brisbane is just, yeah, sort of scratched out rounds one to four from their season, just looked at rounds five to 12. Um, they're sort of the top of the ladder in that time, the form ladder, 155%. Uh, average winning margin in those games of 44 points, which is second only to the Bulldogs in that time. Um, and yeah, that that's really they're sort of you know top two in all all key areas um, that you want to be in in, sort of, in terms of scoring, scoring from forward half, uh, scoring from turnovers and things like that. So, and that's probably been one of the biggest changes. Round one to four, they were 17th for points scored from forward half intercepts, which again just being able to get the ball and keeping it in there and. Uh, being able to turn turn the ball over and score again, they gone up to second from rounds five to twelve, which was again big big strength of their game previously as well. So um, I think Chris Fagan, I don't know if it was after round four, but he did speak about they made some changes in the preseason, which he was sticking with, and he expected sort of to take a little bit of time in one of his pre- um, post match press conferences. And I think it's mm. starting to show now that, as I said, from rounds five to twelve, and I think I said it just before last week when we were talking about the. Melbourne Brisbane game. Brisbane was probably the most informed team in the competition, um, and yeah, didn't do themselves any harm. I didn't thought with the even with the loss, um, you know, on the weekend. They, Second you know, half was disappointing though. Uh, yeah, first well, half, they, everyone, they almost, was, everyone yeah. was calling them on Twitter. Everyone was calling them premiership favourites at halftime. Well, yeah, you know, had the had that been the final siren at halftime, they probably would have been premiership favourites. But I think they lost. They lost not necessarily admirers, but. There, there are a few more question marks on Brisbane after that second half. I thought they were they were comprehensively outplayed and probably should have lost by more than they did. Yeah, yeah but again, uh, it, yeah, you sort of look at the first half as well, don't you? So I, I agree with you. You know, it wasn't great after half time, but I think what they showed in the first half and again, just a little bit of tinkering. I don't think they, you know, don't they're, they're fully there. Um, I, I'd put them in a top four, you know, prediction, but I wouldn't say they're you know definite grand finalists yet, but. Yeah, I still think, yeah, they, they're improving. If you want to talk, you know, sort of players as well, Hugh McCluggage has probably been the, you know, the biggest improver for him. He started still the season on the wing. He started to play a little bit more in the centre bounce midfield. Uh, but yeah, elite for, you know, kicks per game, contested possession, goal, score, assist and pressure. So, you know, one of those three-way players can win the footy, score on the scoreboard and sort of pressure going the other way. His kicking is still poor. So I still find that as one of his maybe he's overrated part of his game that people still, you know, he, mm. he gets out into space and he sometimes, you know, he, he does find the easier options better, but overall it's still, yeah, rating as poor sort of across the competition. He's, so still he's a bit area. like Josh Kelly in that regard. The, the people get sucked in thinking he's, and I, I think he's a fantastic player, but he, that is his weakness his kicking where everyone seems to think that's his a grade attribute. Yeah. And, but I, as I sort of said, like, He's still, you know, elite on the scoreboard for, you know, score assist and hitting the scoreboard and things like that. He's not great with his accuracy, but fix that kicking by four or 5% and he becomes, yeah, a deadly player, you know, going forward in finals. So. Um, other most improved candidates, I think Zach Bailey's just had an, an outstanding season. His ability to find the ball and then hit the scoreboard. Um, he's just a tenacious sort of player. And, and one of the 
one of the pieces to that puzzle, which you just love to mm. walk out with a bloke like that because you know he's going to go full tilt 100% of the time and and give a massive effort. And I think he's been been huge so far this season. He's always been really good player. around goals, isn't he? Yeah, one goal per game player off the wing. He's always been that for Kostelkari. And another one I'll throw up is uh, Brandon Stasevich. So gets the big job every week. Yeah. Um, I could call off the names, but I'll call off his shots at goal per week. And he's playing on probably the best best small forward uh, each week. So going back to round one, these are the shots at goal he's conceded per week. One, one, two, one, one, zero, zero, two, and one to Tom Papley, Dugowie, Michael Walters. Like he's playing on these blokes. And not only is he sort of shutting him down, they're having yeah, one or two shots at goal for the whole game. Um, so he's been in yeah, unbelievable form. And again, one of those most improvers that could also be quite high up there in their uh, BNF for fair, the coaches yeah. vote for the, for the defensive guys. Um, McCluggage also probably up there for the best and fairest, Jake. Anyone else? Uh, yeah, I think he's be leading it at the moment. Yeah. Daniel Rich. Um, it's always interesting because you know, you know, Stasevich, as great as he's been, I do, you, you're never quite sure how much love love they get. Obviously, he's going to get more love in the best and fairest than he will in like the Brownlow. But um, <laughs> oh, he's been great. We had them both, Stasevich and McCluggage, in our mid year All Australian team. I think they've been probably their two best players. I think the other one that's kind of flown under the radar a bit, probably in the second half. Um, of the first half of the season is Dane Zorko. I think he's been yeah. great. I, he, he struggled a little bit last year, but he's been fantastic with with his play uh, forward to center. We know how great he is. Yeah. Um, hits the scoreboard again. Uh, yeah, great ball user. Hits the scoreboard. Clever. Just a really good player, and he's been fantastic. I think he's very high up. Might even be leading the AFL in score involvements. Very high up a couple of weeks yeah, ago. I think I think. Top, yeah, top three when we checked last week. Um, we've touched on the blues, so we'll, we'll give them a, a, a buy. <laughs> if you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love, with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Yeah, Essendon again. Um, yeah, one of those teams that probably, yeah, upon reflection when you looked at them at the start of the season, they were just, yeah, it was all about improvement for them and showing some sort of sign, new coach and things like that. Clearly got a game style that they're they're banking on and that's attack. So second for points four, still 14 for points against. So not paying as much attention probably, you know, to the defensive side of the games, even against Richmond, that was, you know, a fairly good effort, got in front finally in the last quarter. Overall, though, you take a step back, they conceded 101 points from turnovers to the Tigers. So just really, really tried to take them on. And it's oh, like they could almost... How often does a team really... concede a, a ton on the... <laughs> from... Yeah, it, it'd be, I again, out of thousands Not... of games, I'm sure it's open 30 or 40 times. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, but it's getting rarer with the other lower scoring, obviously, um, in recent seasons. But that's, that's probably there. Their biggest weakness, they're still the second easiest to score against from turnover. But the surprising thing is, so they've still got the best pressure differential of any team. So it's not through lack of effort and just um, mindset of just attacking. It's probably more of a setup thing. They really are set to built for speed. They want to score a lot from the back half. They're very good at, you know, around the ball, putting pressure on the ball carrier and getting away from pressure themselves. So that's a good thing with looking at pressure is your differential. Um, not only are we applying a lot of pressure, we're able to get the ball into space away from pressure, um, which, as I said, they're, they're one of the best at. But it is, it's more that end-to-end stuff, yeah, getting scored against from, you know, turning the ball over in their forward 50 and the other team being able to end-to-end and being able to score is just hurting them a little bit. But, yeah, if you're looking for improvement, you can clearly see that, yeah, second for points four and their ability to sort of, you know, light games up is something that's going to be their strength going forward. 
and they've had a number of players step up as well. I mean, we've talked about Darcy Parrish a fair bit um, and just his uh, ball-winning acumen has just improved remarkably and, and his his disposal's great. Um, we, we talk about uh, Andrew McGrath also sort of being thrust into the midfield a bit more and having, having an impact. And then you look at, you know, kids, Nick Cox. Um, I really like Harrison Jones. I think once he sort of gets rid of the yips, he's got a pretty pure kicking style and he's hitting the scoreboard. Um, you know, he could be a, a decent key-ish forward for them going forward. And that's kind of what they need as the, yeah, they're scoring a lot, but they don't really have a massive focal point. I mean, Kale Hook is not a long-term solution by any means. And he's, he was a, def- he was an Australian defender back, back in the day. Mm-hmm. So once they get a real good focal point up forward, you can kind of see where that attacking structure is going to lead to. And, and I'm, I'm quite bullish on the bombers going forward when I probably might not have been last year. Um, yeah, Darcy Parrish is the is the one. I mean, obviously he's been ridiculously good. I I didn't I put my hand up. I didn't see it. I didn't see it coming at all. I I not to say I didn't think he could be a good player. I just didn't see him becoming this kind of player. Um, that is that since that Anzac Day game, mm. he's probably had five or six best on grounds. He's been ridiculous. And I think in the last five weeks, he's averaging thirty eight touches, ten clearances. I mean, they're outrageous numbers. Um, I, I didn't see it, it see it coming, and I think it's clear. We talk about players leading the club's best and fairest. I think he'd be leading it f- uh, probably from Zach Merritt by by a bit of a distance at the moment. There's uh, two other names I mentioned. I think maybe not in the BNF for Kyle Langford, but he's been you know stepping up each game this season. He's been another one that's probably three or four years just mm, it's really a bit of a slow burn role. Yeah, couldn't you know sort of threw him into the midfield. I think he was. As a junior, he played more of a sort of a hit-up forward uh, for the Northern Knights and things like that. So I think it's taken him a while to find that exact role uh, in the midfield. Just the last two weeks, he's had, I think, 56 disposals across the last two games, 28 in each, and, um, you know, starting to get his hands in some score involvements. And McDonald's, Hip and Woody would be right up there in their BNF too, sort of um, underrated season for how consistent he's been. He's got also the second-best kick rating in the comp of anyone to play six games, sort of Darcy Fogarty at Adelaide, who is just one of the most... Pure kicks. Pure set shot <laughs> kicks is is number one. Uh, but McDonald's and Woody, um, again, just <laughs> get the ball in his hands in the forward half and he's going to hit targets or kick a goal. And he's been doing it, you know, 10 to 12 times per game this year instead of, you know, doing that sort of three or four times every second game as he was in the past. He's actually starting to, yeah, consistent output each week. For sure. Uh, moving on to the Tigers, uh, who beat the, the Bombers on the weekend. Are we... We're seeing signs. Is there life down at Tigerland for uh, another premiership flag? So back. The, yeah. <laughs> back. The, the big stat for me, again, we sort of, I sort of spoke about it three or four weeks ago about the, you know, the new stat in footy was the uh, being able to outscore your, your opposition from midfield turnovers. So just being able to win the ball back anywhere in, you know, from center half forward to center half back in that midfield zone where a lot of the game is played and being able to score, uh, more than your opposition can from there. So they're third from points from defensive mid, second from attacking mid. So they're able to control both sides of the midfield. They're still, uh, I think they're number one also for f- scores from forward half turnovers. Um, so still being able to sort of create that the play where they want to create it and sort of, you know, as I said, 101 points on the weekend from turnovers against Essen and that's their strength right there. The ones that for me though, again, <laughs> Every year, every year, Richmond sort of show their vulnerability and then they prove you wrong by September or October or, you know, November, whenever we're going to play the grand final <laughs> this year. But uh, one and five versus top eight teams at the moment across the season. So still not, um, yeah, getting the job done. It was, you know, the other 
criticism we've had of them in the past. When you looked at their wins, they weren't smashing teams. You know, they were they were just getting, you know, they were beating teams by 20, 30 points previously. This time it's, yeah, they're not doing well against the other finalists at the moment. But um, again, the game plan's still there and, you know, the, the players are still to come back in that you're sure that they'll be fine come finals time against these good times, good sides. Can't write them off, can you, the Tigers, Jake? Because um, and they've always they've always got a decent spread of contributors too, which I think is is really important. You look at Shea Bolton's season. I know he had a really good season last year, but he's just gone to an, another level. Uh, oh, and, he's and ridiculous. He's so good. It's just is incredible to watch, and so light footed and and nimble, and his footy IQ. Is he their second best player behind Dusty? Um, yeah, he he might be. It might be. <laughs> uh, just what he, what he, he does his is ceiling is so high. In all seriousness, I, you know, he he can be anything. It's ridiculous how good he is. And and he's just 21, 22, I think, still. Yeah, very young. There's very a lot young. of I tell you what, the game is in a good spot with the young players. Isn't it? Um we need to a, do it. We need to do our um our Best 22 team under 22. 22. Yeah, seriously. Where, where do you start. draw the line though? Because they, uh, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, another one, Noah Bolter, I think for me, has been really, really good um, and has just fit into that sort of key defensive role magnificently. And I know that everyone, again, last year had a pretty good year as well, but everyone was sort of like, Alex Rance, oh, who's going to replace him? And, um, mm. you know, who, who can sort of step up and, and will it fall on Grimes and Asprey to sort of do that? But far out. Um, Noah Bolter's just. Um, and a decent kick too for for a key defensive player. I think he's just been one yeah. of Richmond's most improved by far. Another one down. There, there. are a lot of similarities to uh, 2019, aren't there? I mean, Christian was talking about it, but you know the, the the amount of players that are that are sort of slowly coming back into the team, and you think, oh yeah, gee, they've still got Lambert out. Oh, Tom Lynch is going to come back. Shane Edwards. All these guys just every week they're bringing a star back into the team. Yeah. They're going to go on a run at some point. And, and Rowan's been big on this for, for a number of weeks, well, all season really. But he keeps saying that it's the premiership's already, the, the race has run. The Tigers have, have won it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going that far. But the amount of players they're coming back, you would be absolutely foolish to think that they couldn't, they couldn't do it from here. Go on, Christian. Uh, you had someone else you wanted to I was going to say, just to add to Noah Bolter, who's another one down back, is Nathan Broad, who just, mm. again, just flying under the radar. But... You look at his individual game, everything's up for him by two, three percent. Well, it's not hard to go up when it's yeah, so, starting at a pretty low base. Yeah, but that's what I mean. He's just he, he does that job for him. So that's what I'm saying. Like, improved he means, Jake. Nah, he's a good yeah. player, Nathan Broad. He's, he's yeah, all right. He's not Broughton. getting your 30 touches or 40 touches a game and you know, doing your Jordan to go and kicking you six goals or something. <laughs> That's what I'm sort of saying. In, in, if you talk about Richmond and yeah, their ability to replace players, it's those types of players like Nathan Broad that just step up and get better in their role each and every game. That that's why they're yeah. a good team. So shit can't. To be fair, a couple of weeks ago, he played a really good game a few weeks ago, and I actually noticed that. I thought, yeah, he's he's turned himself into a into a handy player, good decent player. Um, before yeah. we move on to the West Coast Eagles, just quickly, who's leading the best affairs? Could it be Jack Revolt? I had Shy Bolton. He's been very good. Yeah. Bolton. Yeah, yeah, Jack, Jack Rewell, especially the yeah, last four or five weeks, he's probably yeah, got himself back. Speaking up. of pure kicks for goal, his set shot routine is is unbelievable. Um and, and his maturity over the last five, six years, well, ever since really Richmond became a juggernaut, I don't have enough praise for, for Jack as a player. Uh, the Eagles. And I, I think oh, particularly with Lynch out as well, what he's been able to do um as that sort of you know, once again, he's the focal point um, without Lynch in the side. He's been terrific yeah, and great kick for goal. Started the season really well. Started it much better than Lynch. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a Rewalt 
Bolton and and Martin. I mean, can't forget Martin started the season red hot. So um, he's probably had four really, really good games, Martin, but there's been a few where he's been quiet. But hard to pick, as you say, because they've got so many contributors, the Tigers. West Coast Eagles, um, speaking of players set to come back and players who've been missing, they've been kind of hit by the injury stick as well, Christian. Yeah, so every team has, but again, what we are, we're 11 teams into it, and I haven't mentioned the injury ladder, but yeah, saved it for West Coast because they have been the hardest hit. Uh, I think they're the third most games lost to injury, but number one for cost. So that's looking at guys that have previously been in your best 22 or rated in your best 22 actually missing games. So uh yeah definitely the ones that can you know you can put the asterisk next to at the moment and say where they are at the moment is you know it's um and again we spoke we spoke about the last few weeks they're not going the strongest but again they've got the most to come back and look forward to in terms of player personnel uh so the biggest thing for me again looking at them is their accuracy what they've been able to do for the center we know mm. west coast gameplay we've been going about it for years it's you know sideways backwards control the game as much as possible but yeah, putting it on the scoreboard. So competition average is 47.6% scoring accuracy. So taking into account all shots at goal that you miss, goal or behind. Um, yeah, the Eagles' top five goal kickers are in Darling's at 60%. Josh Kennedy's at 59%. Oscar Allen's at 63%. Petra Chally, 68%. Liam Ryan at 61%. So they're all, you know, 10% or more above the comp average. The only one slightly below is Jamie Cripps at 42%. So... Getting the job done, bookends, you know, cutting it off, but then getting it forward and making the most of their opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very hesitant to write this side off purely because of the amount of quality that's that's on the pine at the moment. And the dangerous forward line, the dangerous midfield, the really strong defense. They've, they've really got all bases covered. The the only thing it comes back to as we've the other thing we've been banging on about is how they perform on the road. Um, and that's the question. But I'm mm. I as far as quality goes and, and amount of A graders, I, I, I rate West Coast as high as anybody. Um, it's just whether they can get all those players back on the park and if they can travel. But with the way this season is unfolding, who knows where the grand final is going to be? Who knows where the final series? Who knows what's going to happen? I'm not writing them off just yet. I think there's plenty to come back and, and a lot to, lot to like about the Eagles. Uh, Oscar so, Allen, been a revelation up forward and, and pinch hitting in the ruck as well. I think his improvement has been... Uh, remarkable and, and comfortably. Well, yeah. Well, seriously, wherever. Um, you know, he he's just a he's become a a multi pronged. Well, not 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 attack, but he's become a multi pronged. Um, I don't know what you want he's to call just it. Mr. Fix it. He's yeah. Uh, he's the he's the Swiss Army knife. <laughs> um, and and his improvement has been again like not that I didn't see it coming, but like I saw him early in his career, and you think yeah, pieces are there, but the way he's just stepped up and taken anything that they've sort of thrown at him and and that opponents have thrown at him, I think it's been really admirable and and um he will probably deserve his next contract and more whenever he signs yep. that another one to me that's flown under the radar and probably has for i think he's almost probably probably over 250 games almost this bloke but jack redden again just the one that you know we talk about injuries to west coast midfield and guys going out jack redden just continually does his role gets 20 touches you know always high up as a you know pressure player sort of keeping the ball in close so again he's not He's not your standout player. He's not, you know, Tim Kelly, who's your burst player, 60 metres, kicking goals and things like that. But again, hats off to Jack Redden to sort of be, he's probably been one of the ones that's had to step up and continually play his role in the midfield to cover for some of those losses. That's a great call. Um, I reckon two weeks ago, I was thinking something very similar. I thought, 
you never, ever, ever hear Jack Redden's name mentioned when it comes to West Coast midfield or anything like that, but he just does it every week. He's, he's, he's rarely the best player on the ground, but he's very consistent. He'll have your touches. He, he's, he's a very good pressure. As you say, he's a great pressure player. Um, doesn't get the love he probably deserves. Fair enough. Uh, and moving on, last team on the list, uh, the Western Bulldogs. Um, I think we've we've touched on them a few years because we've had uh, Josh Dunkley on the podcast, but uh, what they're doing well and what they're not doing so well, Christian. Well, that's the problem. They're they're boringly good. I can only tell you what they're doing well. It's it's <laughs> even their one. So you know, early in the season, it was probably vulnerable in the defensive fifty. I think last four weeks, they're one of the best for defensive efficiency and one-on-one loss rates. So defensive efficiency being you know how the, every fifty minutes, the times in your in your opposition half, how many points you would, you would be conceding. Um, you know, that was always a slight worry for him, but they've tightened that up. But yeah, looking at number one points for number one for scoring once inside 50, number one for points against, um, you know, number one for scoring from turnover, uh, sorry, stoppage differential, second for turnover differential, second best contested possession differential. The list just goes on of, and they're all top threes in nearly everything. Um, you know, the one, you know, white area that I have here is their eighth for going from defensive 50 to forward 50. So, you know, that's about the only area that you sort of look at as, you know, a key performance indicator and say that the Bulldogs aren't doing well in. So, yeah, struggling to find an area to say, yep, this is the the one issue for the Bulldogs at the moment. And as we know, sort of their um, their midfield is just so stacked and uh, Trelaw and Dunkley still, you know, hopefully come back in before finals. Um it just gets even stronger during, you know, the last four weeks of the season. When those two guys come back, are they the team to beat? You'd have to think so. As I said, Melbourne and Brisbane are, are the the other two up there at the moment. And Richmond are always thereabouts. But, yeah, as I said, I, I look at Brisbane and I watch them and aesthetically I thought they were the most informed team. But the more you look at the Bulldogs' numbers, if you're, you know, trying to find mm. a weakness, you can't find one in this team at the moment for this season. And everyone's playing their role. I mean, you just got to look at someone like Bailey Dale who moves to halfback and is suddenly one of the best halfbacks in the land. Uh, his improvement's been out of sight and his kicking is just meticulous. You look at some of the some of the passes that he he chews off, you sort of think, oh, what's he, why is he kicking? Has he miskicked that? And suddenly someone, if you're watching on TV, will come from out of screen uh, and just sort of hit up this lead beautifully. And, and I, you know what I like about Bailey Dale? I, I know this should have been my something I noticed because I reckon he's the only only player to take a kick out this year that does it. He doesn't always do a Jake Lloyd and take the ground to get the to get the disposal to his name. He's there was a couple of times in that game against uh, who did yeah. they play the in Dockers where he where he just took the kick from the square because there was an option on and he's oh, like, yeah. okay, well I don't need to get rack up a touch for it. I'll have to chase up the numbers because I worked on uh um, worked on Richmond Essendon and Nick Vlosten was doing that. I was going, he's gone the old fashioned kick in from the square style. I reckon he did it four times and I made the comment. I'm like, I wonder what the record is for the last two or three years for the most kick ins from within the square. Much. So I like we're calling it old fashioned. It's, it's a two year old rule. <laughs> exactly. But he kept doing it, Nick Vlosten. And I just thought, <laughs> we don't see that anymore because, yeah, we have to call play on and. Four times in a row, I think the call, you know, doesn't say play. Unusually, they're coming back from replays for a kick in. You're like, no, you've missed us. No, no, you didn't yeah. play on you. <laughs> so, uh, interesting, you know, still with a different player. Um, before we do move on, because we're running short of time, uh, best and fairest candidate. I mean, been a pretty consistently good side. It's sort of almost hard to pick out anyone. But I think it's Bond, pretty McRae. easy, actually. I think Bont's yeah. leading it from McRae. And I think those two are a fair bit 
ahead of probably Aaron Norton. I think Norton's been really, really good. Yeah. Um, but Bont has had a lot of best on ground, clear best on grounds. McRae's doing it every single week. He's had 30 touches every week for 12 weeks in a row, every game. No one's ever done that to start a season. I think Christian was saying the record might be 14. Yeah, so 14 um, from Mitchell uh, in 2017. So that's, yeah, 30, at least 30 so, in a row. So, and no one's done it yet in the first 12 rounds of the season. So, One to keep an eye on. Consist- we're consistent players. He's super consistent. Um, Bond's, Bond's the one that, that, that does the work, kicks the goals. Libba's the one that's getting the ball out. They've, they're a really dangerous side. And I think when you bring in two A-graders in uh, Dunkley and Trelaw back into that midfield, yeah, it's, uh, I think they're the, if, if those two come back and they're healthy, I think they're the flat. I think they're, I think they are the team to beat. I would say they're a better team than Melbourne and a better team than Brisbane. Fair enough. Uh, let's move on. Uh, there were 55,656 people at Optus Stadium on the weekend for the Dreamtime game, Jake. Uh, and Calls are now going out to sort of say, well, why can't games like this, um, games like Anzac Day, games like the opening game of the round, Good Friday, Easter Thursday, the friggin' country game, whatever you want, why aren't these? <laughs> why aren't Is these? That's the thing. <laughs> uh, apparently so. Uh, and they somehow played at the MCG between a team from the northern suburbs and a, and a, and a small regional city. Um, yeah. Why aren't these being shared around? Like, are we mature enough as a league to sort of say, well, why do these teams need to have this? Why can't we give Anzac data Frio and Adelaide this year at, at Optus Stadium or, or Sydney and Gold Coast at the SCG? I don't like it. I don't want it. I don't want these games shared around. Why can't we have other games at other venues? Why do we have to what? have one Dreamtime game at the MCG? Have another Dreamtime game at, at Optus Stadium between. Then it's not West a marquee Coast- game, it's just a game. But have, but make the celebration as this is a this is we have two dream time games we have a Friday and a Saturday dream time or forget that have another game create another game we dream time would that was an idea that was brought up and started Anzac these are all games that that began not that long ago why can't exactly. we do another one no exactly we're they, not they haven't come around but that not, long ago don't move one that we've already created at, to, to just to another venue for the sake of you know pleasing people in another state create one and have it there we're not we're not going to move the showdown from adelaide oval to the scg that's complete that's not that's completely different though it's 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 not it's the showdown it's the showdown's going to be regardless it's going to be adelaide port port adelaide um queen's birthday what affiliation does bloody Collingwood and Melbourne have that you couldn't have, you know, Port Adelaide and North Melbourne playing at, at Adelaide Oval on a, on a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to win this argument. I, I'm ag- I agree with what you're saying. I, but I just think that instead of moving games all over the place, why can't we just start our own tradition in Adelaide then every Perth. game's a tradition. It's like, well, it just cheapens the idea of having marquee games. I just think you should be able to yeah, share but don't them have, around. But, like, but don't have stupid ones like the country game. Like, let's be honest, Queen's birthday, like, give us a spell. Like, <laughs> what do we need the Queen's birthday? Anzac not even Day's a birthday. Great. Good. Huh? It's not even a real birthday. <laughs> no. Sorry, Queen. You've, you've run your course. On your Libby, but take a hike. <laughs> um, <laughs> fair enough. Christian, any thoughts? Uh, I know that we've been bickering, but... No, I, I, I probably yeah. I'm, I think it'd be hard to do, but I'm I'm sort of agree with Matt. Like 
I think Queen's birthday, the, the round of Queen's birthday, Collingwood, Melbourne should always play on that round. But why? Yeah, you know, and it would be it would be a big pill for a lot of people to swallow. But why do they have to have the Monday game? Maybe they could have the Sunday night game and um, yeah, Port Adelaide, Geelong at the Monday game. Yeah. I guess we you just can have big one, freeze on the Saturday. Yeah, yeah. and then the one I'd love to change is the. Yeah, sorry, sorry I'm cutting you off. No, I was going to say, say, as I say, the same same thing. I mean, Collingwood, Essendon, yeah, they they do own it, but. How, how many years does it take to sort of go, all right, maybe if we just, you know, instead we put the marquee game as another two teams for the next 10 years, people will just go, okay, the Anzac Day is just always the biggest two teams of that year on that day. But, mm. yeah, who knows what will happen going forward. Um, the opening game of the season, I, you know, we people make out that this Carlton-Richmond game has been tradition for 100 years. No, it hasn't. <laughs> it's like, why do they have to be the, you know, 10, 10 years? I'm a Carlton supporter. I don't, I don't, we don't deserve to be playing the opening game. Have the grand final rematches the opening game. Have something else. I, I don't think that Carlton-Richmond game is anything to be, historically, it hasn't been a great game. No, that's fair enough. Uh, justified hype or hype early time segment where, We'll say a statement, uh, and then you guys tell me whether the hype is justified or I'm talking in hyperbole. Jake, first up to you, and we did mention this briefly off the top. Uh, Nathan Wilson deserved more than a week for his sack tap on Cody Waitman. What's a sack tap? Like a, a, a hit to the – a below-the-belt hit. I think the below the belt. <laughs> Let's the go to... with that. Uh, it's not a good look. No. I was trying to think. Have we seen one of these – before like in recent times i can't really think of it happening maybe in um, under 10 certainly on certainly an on purpose one like that i think he should have got more than a week that's a real low blow excuse the pun like I, i'd be giving him i'd be giving him three weeks for that again three. we're going on just a bit of a gut yeah don't why do it yeah okay he chose to do it it wasn't an accidental ha- like whack it, he chose to he gave the free kick away and he chose to do it you said we had don't do that. That's a really one, uh, two weeks ago, Sydney Carlton. I can't remember the players involved though, but I think this similar thing happened. Someone swung their arm backwards straight into yeah, that area. was accidental so, though. So, you got that, to, yeah, I don't necessarily think he was, I, yeah, there's a difference between it happening accidentally and, and lining it up and looking at it and actually going <laughs> in for the, the, the slap. Yeah, <laughs> all right, moving on to next, not good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you got a question for me, Jake. I do have a question for you. Or a statement. Um, yes. The AFL should expand finals to a top 10 and have a wild card situation like they do in US sports. No. And this is this annoys me because US sports are unique in that they all have divisions or conferences and they have 30 or 32 or 31 teams and then maybe 10 teams make it. So a third of the, the group. Um, the AFL has 18 teams and they've already got a top eight. So, you, you know, if you're good enough, you're playing. Um, to expand it to a top 10 means that you're having more than half. Uh, it doesn't need to happen. I know that uh, some media types are obsessed with the USification of this sort of stuff, but uh, a wild card, it would just be a top 10. It would be a top 10 making finals. And at that How point, can you have a wild card if it's just a ladder? Like, what? what? <laughs> Who gets it? <laughs> Okay, we just it'll be end up being like the A League where there's Seriously. ten teams and nine of them make the play, make the finals. <laughs> there there are barely eight teams good enough to make finals as it is. I mean, we always talk about you know there's always one or maybe two teams making up the numbers every every year, and it's just like why would we want to expand it to ten? Uh, I know that it makes the season more interesting for for, for longer, but far out, honestly. Um, some of these boomer types that suggest this sort of stuff don't know a the terminology of what a wild card round is. Uh, or, or B, just the, the fact that you can leave it alone and things will be fine. 
leave it alone. I think Ger- I think Jared needs a bit of a spell. Oh, I didn't name time. it. I didn't know. I didn't name any names, but you have, uh, Christian. <laughs> Geelong's post buy record is going to haunt them once again because they are coming off the buy this weekend. Uh, and yeah, they're just probably <laughs> lucky that they're, they're. What is that record now? What What is it? So if you look at home and away buy, they're two and nine. Of the you know the past eleven years, two wins, nine losses. If you include the first week of finals in that, so when you know the, the new buyer that they brought in, they're three and thirteen, so they're one and four in the uh, first week of finals since coming back. So again, yeah, it, it is. It, it has to be a worry, and I'm sure it's been addressed. And you know, but again, I look at probably I think I had a quick look. Six or seven of those in season ones have all been against fellow finalists that year. Um, and <laughs> draw it again with Port Adelaide. So, yeah, it's a hard one again. The percentage in those in season home and away in season ones was set ninety seven percent. So they're almost you know drawing even. But again, as you said, Matt, they're they're probably a 75 percent win record team. <laughs> taking out any game that's not played after a buy, but you put that one week in there, and um, their record goes down. But I still think it's a little bit of a yeah, it's. I don't think it's anything that you'd be too concerned about as a, as a Geelong coach or player. It's just something that's just a quirky fact that keeps following him around, I think, as far as I can see. Jake, who wins this week? Geelong or Port at Adelaide Oval? I think Port win. I, I actually think Port's going to win by 25 plus. I think Port is going to have a real strong game. It just feels like a game that Port blows out and plays really well. And it's not nothing to do with the Geelong stat. I, again, those things are just quirky. You could say, oh, Geelong has lost their last 20 games in round 14. It's like, well, it doesn't really mean anything. It just, it's the, it's a coincidence the way it happens. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really like the way Port's playing. I think they got into a really nice rhythm against uh, Frio. Frio they play? Yeah, they did. They got yeah. a, um, eight goals in the first, first quarter. quarter. And I think at home, I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel, I don't know what it is, but just, I'm feeling a big Port win. And do you reckon Koshi had a call into the SA government at some point and said, we just want you to put the cats through the ringer with all these restrictions they're bringing in? All the stupid hotel, no training, having their families not being able to do it in order to get gain access into SA, coaches having masks on, Cardiff wearing masks. Avalon Airport. Oh, honestly. Koshi's <laughs> called up Nicholas Spurrier and just said, uh, Nick, any chance you can help us out a bit here? And I reckon the Crows might have done the same and the Pies end up beating him. So <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Yeah. Um, all right, we've Should run out of time. Yeah, we we, we always say every week, we always say, oh, there's a lot of good games. There's not many good games this week. There's not many I'm looking forward to. <laughs> well, Seriously. And this, one, and this one's on Thursday night. So do get your tips yeah. in. Footy tips, uh, Thursday night, it's back. So uh, get your tips in. Otherwise, you'll be uh, behind the eight ball like me. Guys, uh, thanks thank, for thank joining Thank goodness us. the West Coast-Richmond game got brought forward because that's, that's pretty much the only Jake, other game. Jake, we've got to we go. <laughs> We're running over time. <laughs> Christian, uh, thanks for your contributions with the bias stuff and other stuff. Jake, good to speak with you as always. Uh, and everyone at home, uh, whether you're in Melbourne in lockdown or elsewhere and enjoying sunshine or whatever, uh, good to speak with you and we will speak to you in the next one. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.